Welcome back to the Music History Project. Today we're on episode 204, celebrating the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. And we're also very fortunate that our special guest, Kendrick Dial, has taken the time to return to us. Yes, yes. Thank, Thank you. you, Kendrick. Welcome. Welcome to the Music History Project. We are your hosts. I'm Dan Del Fiorentino. I'm Suzanne Del Fiorentino. And I'm Alex Rosner. All of the content of our podcast is based on the Oral History Collection, which is sponsored by NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants. This collection is over 5,000 interviews and growing. To learn more, check it out on nam.org library. Well, welcome back, everybody. I'm so excited that we continue to celebrate the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. It's such an important part of our culture and something that we need to pause, reflect on, and give some love to those who pioneered this amazing art form. So thank you very much for joining us. And with us is our special guest, Kendrick Dial. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me back. Right on, right on. Well, today let's focus on some of the other um, East Coast DJs that helped pioneer hip-hop in the early days. In part one, we heard from Grandmaster Kaz, Grandmaster Flash, Grand Wizard Theodore, and cool DJ Red Alert. Today, we're going to be hearing from another set of early pioneers of this art form. And let's start with DJ Jazzy Joyce. Thoughts about her? I love her. <laughs> You love her because she helped you with the uh, slogan that you use around the house sometimes. Ah, suka suka now. <laughs> <laughs> Kendrick, thoughts? Actually, you know, I, what I appreciate is we're bringing in uh, the the voice of woman, the female voice. Uh, it's such a, I think, overlooked aspect of hip-hop at times. Uh, but, you know, DJ Jazzy Joyce, like... Just the the impact of having women a part of the culture does so much more for it. So I'm, I'm happy that we're going to tackle that. Yeah, me too. I'm really yeah. proud about that fact. And I told her so when we did the interview with her. Uh, and she looked at me and said, I'm proud too. You know, <laughs> right. she's proud of the yeah, role yeah. that she plays and she should be. And right. I appreciate that. So let's get into DJ Jazzy Joyce. My name is DJ Jazzy Joyce. Um, I'm, I am born and raised and reside in the Boogie Down Bronx for, I'd say, 99% of my life. That 1%, I lived in Atlanta very briefly, and then um, I presently live close to the Bronx, but um, not there anymore, but it's right here. And um, everything that I saw as a young lady, as a young teenager, uh, from the graffiti on the trains to the b-boying in the parks, all of that influenced my desire to want to learn about the hip-hop, about DJing and everything. And my cousin was a DJ, and um, after Karate Flicks, I had to wait for him and his seven MCs to do their routines and everything and practice on Saturday, and then it was my turn. So that was like my um, my first time I was bitten by the bug of DJing, and the I experienced the whole art 
of DJing firsthand from where I lived, the Bronx, New York, from the park jams. I really saw that, where they hooked up the equipment to the light poles and everything. And because I was not deemed a threat, because I was a female and they didn't think that I took interest in it, um, I would get close. And one of the things that I still use today that I didn't know I was strengthening back then is my photographic memory. So I would be at a close enough distance to observe label covers and album pictures and stuff like that. And that was my way of gathering intel and information to later go record shopping. And I'm an only child. So I would take my allowance and save it and go record shopping. So that's kind of like how I got started. How did it start? Born and raised in the Bronx, cousin knew how to DJ. I was like, I want to do that. Because I knew from back then, I was, I, I knew I was kind of a sarcastic person. And I probably would have been one of the first battle rappers from way back then. But I knew I didn't want to get at people like that. So I used my hands and my ears. Here I am, world. Um, my favorite ideal setup for me to DJ and do what I do best is um, I can DJ on pretty much anything, anything, because I never wanted anything to stop me from getting my money. So trust and believe that. But my preference is CDJ turntables and any sort of mixer that doesn't have a short in it. And it, it, it's comfortable, com it's comfortable for me to do what I do. My style of DJing entails that uptown type of swag to it, if you will say, where um, commentary is interjected into the presentation of music. And it's easier for me to do that because I'm adding the style and flair and for me to stop and go versus worrying about needle action and stuff like that. I can do it, but this is my preferred comfortable setup so I can really do what I do best. When I, um, when I talk on the mic, um, it's me inserting my personality into uh, the presentation of the music. Because th if we have 10 DJs, basically we all have the same music a bulk share of the same music, but what differentiates us between each other is our personality and our swag. And that's what I do. I interject a part of me into presenting music to you. And um, it, it, it enables you and I to feel as one because I'm listening to music just like you are. So... That I gotta say something, and it might be something funny. Funny, it may not. It just, it might. I might just. It may be just a simple countdown: one, two, three, to a transition. Go to the next record. On you know, because that internal metronome is always kind of rocking inside of a DJ's mind. So, you know, I gotta keep y'all, gotta keep y'all with me. So. Sort of like rhythmically speaking. Ah, uh, sucky, Well, as we said earlier, we do love DJ Jazzy Joy. She has such a swag as she uses that term, <laughs> and she has such a great way of making her performances a performance. 
really adding her own style, uh, her own voice, and and of course her uniqueness in picking out tunes. It's really great to to hear her set for sure. And I love there was a segment of her interview that wasn't in this particular part that we used just for time, but she was talking about how when they were playing in the parks and in those tall buildings in the Bronx, sometimes certain sounds would bounce off the buildings differently than others. And mm. she really got into figuring out what would get more people to come down and listen to her, you know, right. things that would re reverb a little bit more and things like that. I thought that was a really interesting comment. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I have this, this piece called uh, how many different ways. And it's somewhat of like a, you know, a, a trip down the the history lane in conception of hip hop, um, and so that dynamic of starting in a park and just kind of starting in, I think, a communal space is such, a, I think, an integral part of how hip hop is developed because we don't see that as much. You know, between after COVID and being in this space and everything's digital and whatnot. So, I think. Um, just that piece of being in the park and, you know, hearing the music bounce off the walls and all those dynamics, which I think also lends back to the, the musicality and the musicianship of DJs and whatnot. So I, I love that she expresses that. That's really, really awesome. Who were some of your influences in your own musical career? Honestly, you know, it's it's amazing because I got to hip hop a little bit later. I started out primarily in church. I'm, I'm from Dallas, so I grew up Southern Baptist and whatnot. So definitely, you know, spirituals and, and gospel music from the Clark Sisters and Fred Hammond mm. and uh, uh, Kirk Franklin, um, among some. But then so I've always appreciated cartoons. And when you hear Tom and Jerry, you hear all these in the classical music that was mm. expressed in that, right? Uh, which is why I love to hear strings and hip hop. Um, so it, it was that, and you know, we're taking it, we think about how we take in media, right? And so that, and then uh, that evolved into jazz and, and soul and R&B, like all these were kind of like how I was developed into music and in terms of, which is why my band sound like sounds like it does. Cause it's, as much as it's hip hop, there are elements of jazz and there's elements of, of gospel and R&B that are fused in within it. Um, so to take that early on, um, so growing up in Texas, you know, I was more familiar with um, artists by the name of Scarface and, you know, Outkast. Like those were some of my early, early influences when I came up and then just kind of growing in the culture and being able to be on the East Coast a little bit and begin to dig more into the crates of the art uh, to find out about like who Herc and then, you know, some of these other phenomenal DJs and artists and, and understand the conceptualization of hip hop and how it was more than just, uh, you know, kids just being on a park and understanding like the depth of what it was coming for and coming about and how it was, it's, it's weird to think about it, you know, being such a new thing and folks not really gravitating it, especially now today that we see it in so many different hallmarks of life, you know, from film, from TV and school. And we, uh, there's a Chris Emden, who's a, a hip hop educator, um, and then you have um, Giza from the Wu-Tang Clan. Mm. And, you know, the education you know, component of hip-hop is so intertwined. And so to see it take on this different life and whatnot, which 
kind of circles back to me because as a uh, trainer, facilitator within the world of uh, social work, human services, being able to use hip hop and the messages in my music allows it to be used in spaces where I can do a training and also play music to get us to think about the concepts that we're actually exploring and everything. So, um, yeah, all that just kind of comes along with it when I think about how my music and the conceptualization of how I use hip hop um, because hip hop was really about breaking down doors and barriers. And for me to be able to say, you know what, I know this is a professional setting, but you know, hip hop is a tool mm -hmm. and I'm going to play you this music with this message and we're going to explore some concepts. And I, I appreciate the fact that people are able to connect with it because with art, it allows us to really lean into conversations that if we just have a conversation straight up around uh, race or diversity or conflict, a lot of times it's hard because we're kind of taking it personalized, but the art allows us to kind of take a more objective view to then explore it and then lean into those conversations from a subjective perspective. And so with that, it allows to, to kind of explore some grain and, and see us and each other. And I think uh, a lot of times we don't talk about, you know, the beauty of art is creating empathy and hip hop allows us to tell stories where folks can connect with other people's stories. And so in creating that exchange of culture and empathy. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, you know, for me, I, I didn't grow up in a neighborhood that had a lot of hip hop. Um, and when I was introduced to it, I was thinking about this the other day. It was a, a mixtape, 1984, that had uh, Roxanne Sade oh, yeah, doing yeah. Roxanne's Revenge, oh, which, yeah. by the way, was recorded in Molly Mall's uh, apartment. Um, that was so great. And I remember thinking to myself, even as a young kid, young teenager, I can't relate to this. This is not, you know, this is not my neighborhood, but boy, do I love it. I love hearing, it was like a, it was like getting a, a view into something that I had no idea what it was, you know, a whole lifestyle, a whole way of talking, a whole way of expression, a whole way of making music that I didn't know, but boy, did I want to know, you know, I thought that was really a, a very insightful thing and to be empathetic because not all of it was great stuff that they were rapping about back then, you know, and, and, and today and, and, and not, and acknowledging, I think that I don't know, but I want to know, I think is an important part of, of hip hop to me. I, I think the other piece of that is recognizing these were some very young kids in many ways, right. In terms of like, and we think about where else do our kids voice champion? Right. And into that place and to where they can explore. So Roxanne Chante in terms of, you know, hearing what her experience is and whatnot. Like, I think that's such an integral part to uh, this piece, too, is recognizing that, you know, it, it really provided a voice for uh, a generation that wasn't heard. Mm -hmm. I wanted to offer this piece. It's called How Many Different Ways. Uh, it's really in particular, it's, it's like my homage to hip hop mm. in terms of just kind of going from like the beginning with Cool Herc, Break Beats, James Brown, um, and Merry Go Rounds <laughs> and everything to kind of where it ended up with me and um, today. So it's called How Many Different Ways. Enjoy. One, two, ready. How many different ways can I say I'm hot? 
How many different ways can I say you not? How many different ways can I rock the spot? How many different ways can I say I run the block? Hip hop started out in the heart. I said hip hop started out in the park. I said hip hop has always been my homie. We went to school together. Duplex around the corner from Kuhurk's merry-go-rounds. Set the background for James Brown break beat blocks. Where it's known for selling bootleg products and running from the cops. Tells me all the time, it doesn't matter if you live in a mansion, a house, an apartment, or a project tenement. They all hold the same sentiments. A home is still a home as long as lovers are to feel it. That's why I love hip-hop. You can take whatever you're thinking, whatever you're missing, and feel it. Make it its own urban, classical, R&B, countryfied experience. Hip-hop is like musical food. And since I like chicken, 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 I'm trying to have your finger licking it. How many different ways can I say I'm hot? How many different ways can I say you not? How many different ways can I rock the spot? How many different ways can I say I run the block? Yesterday... I took a trip to BK that made me reevaluate the nutritional value of beef. I ordered a Whopper. One bun was Biggie, one bun was Pac, and in between, there was beef. After I ate it, I had a bad dream. There was a movement. On one side stood W.E.B. and on the other was Booker T. And in between, there was beef. So I stopped eating it, turned into a veggie eating philanthropist. Start eating every meal with spinach and cream. You know why? They say cash rules everything around me Cream, get the money Dollar, dollar bill, y'all Figured I could spend it on my people Make them stronger Now I'm living in the steeple When they calling me a preacher But I don't need peace to preach to I do this for my people But if I don't make a profit from spending this knowledge Then my people can't profit from this poetical preaching profit They probably seen this lawless Soon to be locked up Biggie and pocked up So I chose to shock you Set out to change the world with the wish that was lyrical Make sure guys were laced my lyrical material And guys backing me and I'm spitting miracles Asking simple little questions like this, this, this How many different ways can I say I'm hot? How many different ways can I say you not? How many different ways can I rock the spot? How many different ways can I say I run the block? I found hip-hop on Sunday morning Walking with Jesus Stomping with Kirk Franklin But that was just what I saw on Saturday night Up in the club Shaking it fast and watching herself Friday, she was in some apple bottom jeans Boots with the furs and had the whole club Looking at her because she was getting low, low, low Thursday, I heard hip-hop at Elevated Telling everybody to keep their head up But that was just after hump day Dropping home after work I heard hip hop on the radio. What was that? What was that song you were singing? I said, Buster, me and you are rolling. In a little line, my backside is swollen. Now, if you make me be sitting, say what you gonna say. You gon' tell it, brother. Ask if I see it. You gon' tell it, brother. Everybody say it now. Everybody say it now. But see, on Tuesday before we passed Cavassier, I had to say, today was a good day. Plus, nobody I know got killed in Southeast SD. But on Monday, hip hop made a song that said I could touch the sky. So I decided to try to do more than just get by. But on Sunday, hip hop was back in church and the pastor asked it Hip hop, what are you doing in church? This is what he said. I got a heart.
heart, a mind, and a spirit that formulate this flow in enough street smarts to know that before I found Jesus, hip hop had my soul, soul, soul. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's really great. Cool, cool. And I, I think to, to segue into our next segment, um, which is uh, DJ Johnny Juice, the musicology of hip hop, I think, is on full display in this next segment when he's talking about how he came up with some of the sounds behind Public Enemy. So if you don't mind, let's get into DJ Johnny Juice. Uh, you all know the record Rebel Without a Pause. Our album, Yo Bum Rush the Show, was pushed back due to the Beastie Boys album coming out. So by the time that record came out, it was like almost really like played out and old. And people like, people aren't using like those drum machine sounds anymore. So we put Rebel Without a Pause, the, the single from the first album, I mean the second album, on the B side to You're Gonna Get Yours, which is on the first album. That's how close together they were. And, um, Chuck would do things like, you know, he would get all busy and then Terminator X and nothing. So it's like, what's supposed to go there? He's like, oh, I don't know, put something there. So I'm like, oh, okay. Now, me being a conguero, I play congas and like instruments, I think rhythmically, um, that's why Chuck came up with the whole rhythm scratch thing and get, like lead, like a guitar thing. So one of the things we wanted to do was, instead of just, just scratching for the scratch's sake, create a rhythmic response to Chuck's call. So, you know, the beat, I know everybody hears a rebel that, you know, saxophone whale from uh, the, the grunt, but underneath it, there's a guitar. So how do I get that rhythm to work? So I found my boy Chubb Rock. Rock and roll, dude. Now, the Chubb Rock thing, doesn't really have the rhythm. It does, but not really. So you took a little bit of the bass out. More bass out. Right? And then we went. So it's like, now we got a rhythm now. So now, beats playing. <laughs> So now you got and it matches Clyde Stubblefield's drumming. It's very, 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 very planned and very obvious and well, not obvious, but it was very, it was, it was very intentional. So you know, sometimes there's mistakes. This wasn't a mistake. It was meant to sound like that. So when the beat comes in, you hear. We think outside the box sometimes and, 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 and we try to think rhythmically because the, the bottom line is my favorite DJ, I know growing up there's a lot of incredible DJs, I always looked up to DXT, but Jam Master J was one of my favorite DJs, not because he was technically proficient or he was better at a battle, because he made every song sound great. He made Run DMC sound great. So the, the, the 
the purpose of a DJ in a party is obviously to rock a crowd. Purpose of a battle DJ is to win his battle. But the purpose of a DJ that performs for a rap group is to make the rappers that he's DJing for sound better. So I've never been a fan of that in the middle of your, you know, you know, MC set. Yo, get busy, DJ. It's like you should be either you're part of the show or you're not part of the show. It's not like, you know, I got the segment. If you have to do the segment, then you're not doing your job right. You know, you, you know to me, I have to make my group look great, you know, and that's, that's what it was all about. And it's about the songs. It's not about, you know, the individual pieces. You know, people say, well, lyricism is important. No, it ain't. It Takes Two is an incredible record. Nobody's accused Rob Bass of being the most lyrical dude in the world. And he's not a bad rapper, but he's not, he's not like Nas or like, you know, a Rakim. But it doesn't matter. That song outdoes almost every one of those records because it's a great song. So nobody ever tells Stevie Wonder, yo, that second verse, son, wasn't really that hot, kid. You know, you got to kick up that second verse, Stevie. It's either the song is good or it isn't. And, you know, my role in Public Enemy and, 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 and hip-hop in general is to, is to do what the producers do on records, which I also produce, is to do it with the turntables. So I produce scratching pieces as opposed to scratching our records. I've been at the New Music Seminar, I've been in the DMC, and I've been in countless battles for equipment. I don't know if you know this, but back in the days, I used to battle for equipment. I didn't have 1200s. I got them now. <laughs> so, you know, I used to come home and stuff. Mom was like, who gave you that? You know, you know, your mom's like, you better bring that back. I'm like, oh, I can't. You know, <laughs> I didn't tell her I'd battle for equipment because if I lost, I would have lost whatever I did have. And mom's like, are you kidding me? I bought you that amp. You know, yeah, sure, it was Fisher. You know, and it was like, came with a rack system, but who cares? You know, my mom was not trying to have me battle for equipment. And plus, you know, if a dude lost, he might not have wanted to give you the equipment. So he had to kind of like, you know, convince him that he lost it, you know, in certain ways that I will not mention here because it isn't civilized. And anything less would be uncivilized. So we would basically go out and battle and, you know, yo, you battle for your, battle for your name. You know, I battled Johnny Quest, Mikey D's DJ one time, because we both had the name Johnny. That was stupid, but I mean, why not? And his name was spelled differently, too. It wasn't the same Johnny. And, you know, and I'm not going to say you won, but you know who won. He's a, good, he's a good friend of mine. I love Mikey D. And actually, the, the irony is I was in the music seminar with Mikey D when he won. And he was on the side of the stage and he told me, Juice, if I don't win this battle, I'm going to stop rhyming forever. He actually told me that. And I said, come on, man, there's some dope people here. You can't say that. He's like, no, for real. And he won. So what do you, you know, go figure. I lost to Scratch that year. I was second place to Scratch. And I was in DMCs, I think, since 86. I was supposed to be in the 87 DMC, but I know it's weird. I caught chicken pox. My mother told me I had it. She said, oh, you bring this to your sister because you had this already. Then after I got it, she said, oh, it's your sister that had it. I'm like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, say thank you. You know, and I remember Hank Shockney coming to my house to pick me up for the for the battle, and I, and I opened the door, and he's like, "Ho, ho, ho! You all right, man?" I'm like, "No." And I had chicken pox on my feet, and it was like ridiculous. I was like, I could barely move. He's like, uh, "You can't throw a hoodie on or something like that." I, was like, I can't move, man. And he's like, "Throw a hoodie on to hide it." Or... That guy has some bad acne. You know, it's like I don't know. So, so I didn't into that year, but um, I also did like in, a lot of individual battles. I battled Cubert in 1988 in um, Berkeley, California, by mistake. And he wasn't like Hubert yet, you know? I was with the automator, of all people. And uh, Dan the automator. I don't even know how I met him. I'm like, we just together hanging out. I'm like, hey, automator. And he wasn't anybody either, so it's like, how do we meet? Phenomenal talent, by the way. And uh, he's like, yeah, you wanna go to DJ Battle? Maybe you can judge. I'm like, sure. We went to Berkeley. I had no records, I had no news. I was in the Navy at the time. 
And I went there, and before you know it, I'm like, whose records are these? And I'm DJing with somebody else's records and needles, and you know, it was a lot of West Coast bias. So technically, I didn't win, but again, you have to ask Hubert about that battle. That was a good battle, though. I don't remember the, you know, and I didn't remember until years later when Cuba says, we battled and I'm like, oh, wow, I do remember that because that's the first time I see Filipinos really get busy like that. You know, the Bay Area has a lot of Filipinos and they were real good. So, you know, I was surprised, but it was a pleasant surprise. And uh, Berkeley's a nice area too. I ended up going to college there for a little while. So that's the battle thing. I'm a fan of the new DJs actually. Um, I love the executioners. I think they're phenomenal. When I came back from the military, there were, there were videos of DMCs and stuff. They, that didn't exist before I went in. So I'm like, wow, I don't have to stand outside, you know, look outside of the booth and stuff to see what they're doing, you know? Now I could actually, you know, watch a video. And the first people I watched was Rob Swift and Rock Raider and them. And um, I was highly influenced by them, again. And irony is Rob learned how to DJ at one time and he was listening to me on the radio while he was learning the scratch. So I didn't know this. And um, I was working with Big Pun at Loud and they just got their deal at Loud. So I happened to be at Loud with Charlie Brown because they wanted to sign Charlie. And I was working with him right when I came back from the Navy and I saw, I saw the executions. I was like, oh shoot, those are guys in the video. Those guys are great. So I'm like, yo, hey guys, yo, think you guys are great. Awesome, man. I'm, you know, I'm watching your videos. I'm hoping I, I get better, you know, to be like you guys. And he's like, Rob's like, oh, you know, everybody's cool. Rock Raiders are all cool. Rob's like, yeah, what's your name? I'm like, uh, my name's Juice. And he's like, wait a minute. Not Johnny Juice. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you heard, uh, you heard of me? He's like, can I have your number? So I gave him my number and he called me. We talked for like four hours that night. And he told me a lot of things I didn't know. He followed me around during my, my DMC and New Music Seminar days. He's like, he would follow me. I'm like, why didn't you just say something? He's like, you're Johnny Juice. I'm like, what? You know, so it's funny how things always come back around, you know, and I'm influenced by a lot of the new people. I never stop learning and I always try to continue learning. You know, I don't believe in being stagnant, you know. I'm actually kind of curious, you know, being here in terms of what has been, you know, you all's connection to hip hop, especially kind of having, like, truth be told, like, some of these names are even kind of new for me. So, like, there's a rich history that you all have been able to kind of uh, orchestrate here. And so I know it's a different lens of even leaning into, uh, you know, learning about a culture maybe that you didn't experience personally, but coming into it and then there's a, a media aspect of it, right? But then there's a, once you actually dig into having the conversations with the people, having the mm -hmm. conversations and seeing like what was actually really going on as opposed to even having an experience where it was like an, an outsider, if you will, and, but then having an opportunity to have like some real conversation, I'm, I'm actually kind of curious about what that experience has been like for you all. Yeah, that's a very good point. Well, I, I grew up in Germany. I just got a new stereo system. Oh, wow. And the first thing that I listened to was uh, Grandmaster Flash and the message. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it all kind of, I kind of became aware of all these things like uh, the civil rights movement mm -hmm. was, of course, I was kind of too young to really see what was going on in the world right. when it when that was actually very much on the forefront here in the United States. But all this came together then, listening to the message, seeing the streets art, and it was on television here and there. And I was gotcha. just glued to the TV and seeing whatever news there was about this. Wow. So that yeah. was kind of my perspective. Yeah. 
Um, and I'm going to confess that I grew up very sheltered. So this very impressive list of people we were able to interview, I'm going to credit Dan with. So if it wasn't in the early days of MTV in the 80s, I didn't see it and I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. So I've been growing as I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. Not that old, but older. Is there anything that you've uh, maybe experienced or heard that maybe opened your, your eyes to anything as you've kind of been able to? Um, I think just the emotion and rawness and genuineness of watching some of the artists, you know, they're not, they're just being themselves with flair and it's kind of a, a, I don't know, not the best way to explain it, but they're not just trying to be so careful and polished. They're just letting their emotions out and just the raw talent and you can tell there's experiences behind their music. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Yeah. Um, I said a little bit earlier about listening to that mixtape when I was young and, and wanting to just dive in and learn all I could, you know, at the time I was learning everything I could about jazz and blues and getting really deep in that. And it was really neat to be there in the early eighties as hip hop was developing. And then you get a new LP. Oh, wow. Okay. I never heard of this guy before it. And then hearing little, um, references to DJs by the MCs, especially in the early days was like magic. You get to hear the, Oh, go berserk red alert. Okay. I, I, I heard that. And I knew that was the name of the DJ. I, I felt empowered. Like, okay, all that scratching I heard all that extra beats behind. And then when the beat juggling started, I was like, okay, who are those guys? And you hear these names like Johnny juice. And then thanks to Christy Z who we're going to hear about in just a minute, who, um, has uh, graced us with her knowledge and her connections with people, especially the first and second wave of DJs, um, has allowed us to interview many of them over the years, starting in, I think, 2012 was our first interview uh, of DJs. Grand Master Kaz was one of them. And over the years, we have amassed a pretty good collection, uh, thanks in part to her and a few other people over here on the West Coast. We had uh, a DJ Krista Glove helping us, as well as uh, DJ Tony G, um, some early pioneers there that said, hey, it's important that we document these stories, so let's do it. And I was 100% behind it. I thought it was great and always honored, always so honored to talk to people because they share a part of themselves. As Suzanne said, you know, what they're doing is themselves. It's who they are. It's what they wear. And to ask, okay, so rest in peace, DJ Imperial JC. I was asking him, why did you pick good times? And because it's good times, you know, it, <laughs> it was fun in the park, having people come up to him, ask for his autograph, having older people shake his hand, say, thank you for making my day. You know, having, uh, a, he said a woman came down with her crying baby and the baby start, stopped crying. You know, he said, these are the elements of what made that a good time for me. In the middle of this economic disaster that was happening in the Bronx at the time, I mean, buildings closing down, people getting shoved out of their apartments. You know, it was not good times, but he made it good times and he created something. And so did all the rest of them. So having, hearing that firsthand was just um, amazing. What a blessing it has been for me to 
I think that's why we focused on this podcast being extra special because it is extra special. These people are really neat. They contributed greatly to this collection and to my own knowledge about music and how one can express themselves through music. Uh, I thought I knew. Now I know. <laughs> and, it, and it seems like such an exhaustive listen. What I appreciate is even some some. Like there's some nuanced stories that, you know, you don't even hear in like a lot of the major blogs and magazines or even get covered like that. And so uh, I'm actually excited about this next one that you have in here with DJ Cash Money uh, and being able to kind of tell this perspective and whatnot. So let's check that out. All right. Philly's in the house. I heard what Grandmaster Flash was doing on some mixtapes. And from that point on, I was hooked. Uh, I really didn't understand, you know, exactly what he was doing. And being the fact that I'm from Philly and he was up in New York, uh, there was a guy called Grand Wizard Rasheem who was DJing. And he pretty much showed me what Flash was doing, but then he showed me his style as well. So I was like, man, you're doing what Flash was doing to like the 10th power, man. So, uh, yeah, he pretty much took me under under his, his, his wing, man, and showed me, you know, how to, you know, move the turntables and always try to be different and try to be a showman. So uh, that's where all the spinning around and, you know, manipulating the turntables, making sounds and stuff like that came from. So, and I didn't practice. <laughs> so what was your first setup? I had a, because um, I couldn't afford Techniques 1200s back then. You know, I had a, my first set of turntables were Techniques B101s. They were like belt-driven turn. Uh, yeah, so, you know, when I got a, on a pair of 1200s, it was just like, get them out of here. <laughs> so Belt-driven, that's a little tough. Yeah. You know what, though? But this is what I say all the time. The DJs today have it easy. You know, we had to improvise on on certain things, like uh, if the needle was jumping or, or skipping or whatever, we would take a coin and put it on top of of the of the needle. Today they have all that all fixed, so they got, the DJs don't even have any problems at all. So I guess we would be I guess we would be called the uh, MacGyver. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, the MacGyvers of the of the turntables. <laughs> Because we whatever we did whatever it whatever it took to make it work, you know. What what was the um, the DJ environment in here in Philly? How because I, of course you know how it developed in the Bronx and so on. Was it similar? Did it did it grow up and develop similarly here? Well, I'm gonna tell you like this: the Bronx, well, New York in general, they created it. Philadelphia definitely changed it. Uh, we changed the game. I mean, see, um, can I put it? We did a lot of like park jams and a lot of um, um, like big DJ events here. And for the DJ, it wasn't just about scratching and you know manipulation on the turntables. It was about rocking the party first. You know, if you're playing the songs that the girls love, and it's all about getting the girls back then, man, you know? So if you're rocking a party, and then you go and you start doing the, the, the turntablism stuff, it's an incredible night. 
You know, I, like I always say, I, I, tr- I consider myself a ooh-ah DJ. You know, um, a lot of DJs can just play records, but it's very rare that you find somebody that can play records plus give you that entertainment factor of like, wow, ooh, ah, man, that's amazing, ooh. You know, it's being a showman. So that, that's what I love. I mean, that's what I've been doing all these many years. It's like, you know, you know of course, like, people want to hear. They want to hear the records they, they, they hear on the radio and stuff. So I give them what they, they want, but then I have to give them what they need. <laughs> you know? That's awesome. So um, what has been some of your trademark styles? Well, the turntables, they call it battle, battle style. Uh, nobody was doing that before I was doing it. I mean, to be honest with you, Grand Wizard Rasheen uh, started that. So he taught me, and the world learned from me, pretty much. So it's not called battle style. It's DJ Cash Money style. Um, let me see what else. Just the uh, the doubling of two records and just making beats, like a completely different beat out of two records that are of the same. It's like, like I said, you, you're doing a remix right in front of someone's face. So it's like, I've become that ooh-ah DJ. That's me. <laughs> so did you get into like um, needle dropping and all that? That really wasn't my thing. Hmm. Like we, I mostly did the spin back things. Okay. Yeah, yeah. cueing it backwards. Um, I can do the needle drop. It's something I had to learn, but yeah, that really wasn't my thing. That's now Grand Wizard Theodore. He's a master at that. Like that guy amazes me to this day. Yeah, some of those guys and the scratching too. I mean, that's amazing how that developed. Mm-hmm. He had a lot to do with that too. Yes, yes, he did. Yes, he did. I mean, th- they have created a bunch of monsters out here. <laughs> I tell, I call uh, Flash and Theodore. I call them my fathers. <laughs> they fathered my whole style. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, we're just trying to continue on tradition. And um, you know, when I see these guys and they they say, "Man, hey, I love what you're doing. Keep on doing it." That means the world to me because you know. You know, it's evolution. You know, we're all building. You know, I looked at them, you know, now Qbert and Craze and all them guys looked at me. Now Qbert and them, those guys are looked at from some, some up-and-coming DJs. So it just keeps, the game is changing. And everybody's adding their own piece to it, which is beautiful. Yeah, no doubt. That's one of the things that must be exciting to see, too, having been there at the very beginning or very close to the beginning, to watch that progression over time. Right. It's like, you know, when I speak to Qbert, he's like, man, do you know you created this scratch that I'm doing? I was like, I didn't. How? He was like, you were doing it this way, and I started doing it this way. I was like, well, how the hell did you think about that? I didn't think, I, I never thought of that, <laughs> you know? So it's a it's a beautiful thing when you see somebody just taking something to a whole different level, you know, and it started from something that maybe like like I said, Flash was the guy doing jigga 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 jigga, you know, and then I took it, listened to what he was doing, and then I took it somewhere else. Then somebody took heard what I was doing and took my style somewhere else. I love it. <laughs> 
I absolutely love it. Oh my gosh, you guys, DJ Cash Money. I was laughing so hard <laughs> during that interview. I mean, he just bust me up yeah. left and right. And boy, what a charmer. Yeah. You know, he really loves what he does. He's very good at it. If you have a chance to listen to some of his spinning, please do, because this guy's talent, I mean, any of these would be great for those who are not familiar. Um, but Cash Money in particular added his own flair that you can right. tell there's a slight difference. And to me, this was, I remember hearing for, for the first time and thinking, okay, this is expanding outside the Bronx. Mm. You know, we, we're taking this around the world. And here's right. another very important first step to do that. So thank you for that, Dan. That's a very good point. Um, next, we're going to hear from Christy Z. And as an interesting side note, she makes excellent cookies. And you know you've made it to her inner circle of friends when you get a, a gallon Ziploc bag of cookies from Christy Z. What kind, what kind of cookies? Uh, chocolate chip with walnut. Or... Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. Oh, wow. And she makes up a storm because these ba baggies she gives out at the NAMM show, she has a whole backpack full of them. <laughs> she's just handing them out. Oh, they're gay, you know. And it's fun to watch people that you wouldn't expect right. jump forward when they <laughs> see her. You got my cookies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, she's great. And she is so dedicated. You know, right. she cares so much about this art form. And bless her heart because she's done a lot, not just for us, but she is almost insistent that music magazines have segments about hip hop and DJing mm. when you're talking about music and, you know, let's talk about the DJ. Let's talk right. about the MCs. Let's, you know, and she pushes and pushes. So Christy Z has pioneered the, the art of bringing people together for DJ battles. She's worked for a couple of organizations in that realm for many years. And what she has done with her devotion to uh, capturing the history of this industry and that particular element is amassing friendships with everybody. Absolutely everybody loves Christy Z, including me. And so when given the chance to work with her, I jumped. And I'm so glad we did. So over the years, ever since 2012, she has helped us with most of the interviews with DJs that we've amassed. And so great shout out to her. Uh, and we would love to play this segment to give you a little bit more background about her and her perspective on her role in hip hop. The, well, the, initially the battle started out as like kind of like a house or, you know, disco mixing competition. So uh, in 86, our friend DJ Cheese from New Jersey won and he was scratching and that turned the whole tables on the DJ battles. So they became like a DMC allowed that to happen versus sticking to the theme they initially started. So that's when turntablism really came into DMC and it's stuck with it ever since, which is what I'm attracted to. So um, the battles, the classic battle is a six minute showcase style battle. And then maybe in the late 90s, early 2000s, new categories were added, including a head-to-head -head component, um, and then a team battle. So those, those stay until today, and I'm personally campaigning for a strictly scratch battle as well. There were actual turntablist battles, like New Music Seminar, 
that that was legendary. And um, Tom Silverman from Tommy Boy Records put those together with his crew. Um, I wish I could have, you can find them on YouTube, but I wish I could have witnessed them. But those were pretty major. Um, and apparently back in the late 70s, early 80s, the battles were kind of like sound clashes where like Bambata would bring out his equipment and Herc would bring out his equipment and they would try to drown each other out and put their best DJs and best MCs on to battle. Fable and I are really big on putting hip-hop back into the parks. Um, and the DJs are some of the easiest to work with. And we keep it clean. We ask no profanity, no explicit lyrics. We want um, everybody to feel welcome of all colors, races, religions. Uh, you know, and it just is peaceful. So in general, we put our favorite DJs who are our friends on and they, most of our friend favorite DJs happen to be pioneers and legends or the best battle champions or DJs who spin for B-boy, B-girl battles just for dancers and as well as uh, our, our love of diggers. So diggers are the DJs who spin the rarest, funkiest records. And that's what we look for, those four categories. And it's beautiful to have it back in the parks, but it, it's always a struggle, but mostly we stay within the Bronx and Harlem. Our biggest are in the Bronx. I would like, I don't know how it'll happen, but I would like to see, especially DJ battles and turntablism go back to, go to where it should have, where it should have been before 9-11. Like uh, the B-boy scene blew up and it's has, you know, people are filling stadiums in other countries and we're struggling. And um, I'm not sure exactly what the, I don't know, I'm not sure if it's exactly like 911 crashing the economy and DJing being such an ex expensive element. In general, it's that and graffiti are probably the most exp expensive elements of hip hop. And uh, so it's a little harder. And without the media attention that we had in the late 90s when the Scratch documentary was being made and we were in the Village Voice and Paper Magazine and everything else. So we don't have the media. Um, if we did have a major documentary, it, had to, it would have to be done right. You know? and, and even people are upset about you know, Scratch not being a complete history of. You know, it, it was just what they could fit in within certain themes that were picked. So I don't know what I, my plan is to keep throwing the DJ battles and try to progress it along those lines so that we'll be in place, you know, if it ever does blow up again. But also I think um, people are not always attracted to or familiar with the battle DJs and turntablism. And sometimes it gets so technical that it's over people's heads. So only other turntablists know it and understand what's happening. So uh, maybe to have it a little bit more funky and soulful as well, that would be a good addition and make it more, uh, not e I don't want to say easy because I don't want it to get not technical, but there's got to be some way to combine the technicality with the funkiness to attract people back to liking it and wanting to listen to like someone like DJ Craze when he was winning from 98 through 2000 and whatever about his sets, you know, brought such fame and attention to our battles. Or like 
access to DJ Qbert or Mixmaster Mike. And, and now Mike is touring with Metallica right now. And a lot of our DJs are rock stars. Swamp um, toured with Beck. A lot of the, our champion U.S. and world champions get, uh, get their own showcases at these big concerts. So that does, thank God, that opens um, audiences that would never go to a DJ battle up to true turntablism. I'm sure Swamp opened up a ton of doors, you know, for people just seeing him with Beck. Like at Radio City Music Hall after Beck's show, I saw Swamp talking to Bette Midler, like, and her, her child. And it was interesting. Like, I was like, wow, that's rock star. Awesome. Yeah, we need more of that. Yes. God willing. So yeah, so we want to we want to help DJs become the rock stars, you know, and uh, do whatever we can to promote them. Um, I guess a public service announcement would be um, always respect the DJ. Don't get in the way of the DJ while they're performing. They don't need to shake your hand. You don't need to go on stage and talk to the DJ while they're performing. Um, pay to get into shows. Don't always try to be on the guest list support even if it's just a share on social media when you see something you like share it there's so many ways we could all build the community and help each other know what's going on um, and and it's beautiful shout out to all of our friends like Rolly Roll who does uh, table turns and open faders here at Scratch DJ Academy where DJs can get together in a non-competitive format our friends at Scratch Pad they have branches throughout the U.S. They do the same things, the Android and um, Selsky. They're the founders of that. Um, people like DJ Hijinks and Mao High DJ Supply. He does um, scratch sessions. Uh, there's little things going around on throughout the country where people get together and just scratch or just have a chance to be together, scratch, be juggle, and not compete and learn from each other. So those are so crucial. So it was great to hear that segment from Christy Z, and that concludes our episode, and now I want some cookies. Uh, well, this is definitely a, a joy to kind of even witness, you know, all these nuances, and I'm, I'm actually pretty excited to have heard about some of your journeys connected to this. So, uh, yeah, I'm ready to get to what's next. Kendrick, thank you so much for being our special guest. It really adds great flair, uh, knowledge, and a perspective that we really do appreciate. Thank you so much. With that, we'll all see you next time for part three. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Good Thanks for listening to the Music History Project. This has been Dan Del Fiorentino. Suzanne Del Fiorentino. And Alex Rossner. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us some feedback. If you have ideas for future podcasts or recommendations for interviews for the Oral History Program, please send an email to library at nam.org. That's library at namm.org.